This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. Hey friends, it's Jamie, and this is Season 2, Episode 16 of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I am talking to Jennifer Woolley, and she is someone that I met before, so I knew that this was going to be good. But honestly, I had chills and tears, and I was yesing and amening. I think that this is one of the most helpful podcasts we've ever had, because Jennifer has a very unique perspective, and she shares it just with such a God-centeredness. So I know that you are going to love this and learn from this. She really is a gift. So enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Jennifer Woolley. Jennifer is a friend that I met at a retreat last year, and I so loved getting to know her and getting to hear her story that I just had to share her with you. She is the adoptive mom of two little boys, and she has a whole other perspective that we'll get to learn from as well. So hi, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you. Good. I remember we sat down at a meal together at the Anchored and Hope Retreat in Texas. Yes. And we, I heard like parts of your story, but then I sat in a breakout and heard you, you basically just read your life story for an hour <laughs> and every person in the room was crying. And it was really, I mean, I remember clearly so much of what you've shared and all right, I don't want to jump the gun. So let's start with this. Tell me about your family. Okay. Um, so I'm married to Rusty. We got married in 2005 and we have two little boys that are both adopted domestically, um, from birth and they, uh, Ben is eight and Joe is six. So when you adopted them from birth, was it like in the hospital room or was, did the placement stuff happen after they were born? Yeah. So we actually met both of their birth moms. Um, before they were born, while they were still pregnant, we had actually been matched with another birth mom through this agency and walked the entire pregnancy with her. And then at 38 weeks, she decided to parent. And so um, we were really grieving through that and processing through that and not feeling like we were ready to show our profile to anyone else. But um, as I will get into later, the lady, the adoption agency was kind of a mentor and a mother to me. And she um, met a birth mom and she just knew that that's who God had for us. And so she kind of showed our profile, even though we didn't think we were ready. Oh my gosh. And uh, we met her and, um, four days later, our son was born. And so we were very reluctant, I think, to switch from pink to blue and to make that, that leap of faith. But, um, he was born on a Thursday night and he was admitted to the NICU for some, um, issues that he was having after birth and but we were able to go the next day and to meet him and have that time with him in the hospital and then she terminated her rights after she was discharged and we brought him home from the hospital Um, and then our second son was adopted through the same agency same thing had some visits with her before placement or before delivery and then got to go visit with him in the hospital and then we had a placement ceremony there at the hospital and brought him home from there. Did you say a placement ceremony? We did. Yeah. I've never so, heard. Okay. Um, this is brand new to me. Oh, okay. So we just did a small thing in the chapel of the hospital. Sometimes our agency will do it in the hospital room. Sometimes we'll do it back at the agency. Um, but she was adamant she wanted a pastor. And so we had a okay. family friend 
who's very close to us and to the adoption situation and journey to come. And um, sorry, I didn't think I'd get emotional that quick. Uh, he, he got to pray over her and oh pray gosh. over us. And it was just a sweet time for her to say goodbye. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So well, it's, it's hard because that's supposed to be this really joyful day as yeah, you leave yeah. the hospital with your child. And um, so it's, it's really, it's hard because you have to see her pain yeah. very visibly and, and walk through those steps. But it's also, I think, um, a really good ceremonial kind of closure mm-hmm. for her to have that time. Hmm. So it was good for us. And she, I guess, opted into that. I mean, if she wanted a pastor and stuff there, it's not something that she would have had to participate in if she didn't want to. Correct. Yeah. Because we didn't with our, our previous son. She okay. had already been discharged from the hospital. They went to her house, terminated rights. Yeah. And we didn't have that. It was very like legal, not ceremonial. Correct. Wow. Correct. Yeah. I've never heard of that. That's really beautiful. Well, I know why you're getting emotional. I mean, besides the fact that that's just emotional for a mom and you hinted at the fact that this is all just part of your story. So let's start your adoption journey 20 years ago. Give us. So my perspective um, is a little bit unique as an adoptive mom, because I'm also a birth mother. Um, When I was 18 years old, I was in an unplanned pregnancy and I chose to place my son for adoption. Um, through the agency that we now ended up adopting our two younger sons from in a crazy God story. But um, I, uh, at the time, felt like I was not equipped and prepared to give him the family that he deserved to have. Um, Had resources, had parents that were willing to help me financially to support him, but I just, I wanted more for him. I wanted him to have the stability of a family. And you, you were so, pretty young. I was 18. He was born my freshman year of college. Yeah. So, Okay. Yeah. So go through a little bit more. I think that what's unique about your perspective and helpful to adoptive moms is you being able to share where your heart was and where your mind was for us mm-hmm. to come with compassion and understanding. Right. I think... Um, I've talked to a lot of birth moms over the last 21 years and a lot of adoptive moms. And I think the one thing that's been the most important for me to convey and what I've learned is that obviously all birth moms are coming from a very different place in their life and people make the decision when they're doing it voluntarily. Um, a lot of times they will make that decision for different reasons, but the one consistent thing I see and every single birth mom is a love for her child. And um, I loved him so much that I was willing to um, sacrifice getting to be a part of his life, getting to be there for all of those things and all those firsts and, and every moment of his life, if it meant that he could have more than what I could give him. And I just truly wanted the best for him. And I, felt like, I mean, I, it was not a decision that I made lightly. Um, I did not decide until right before he was born. I spent my entire pregnancy wrestling through all of the options and praying through it and seeking counsel and guidance. And ultimately, um, I just, I just felt like it was what was best for him. And mom's biological adoptive foster are willing to do the hard things for Mm, their kids. And, um, 
And I think that's what's consistent among all of us is that we're all willing to make those sacrifices and do whatever we have to do for our children. And so, you know, birth moms are no different. Hmm. Uh, it's not a, it's not a walking away from responsibility because in some ways you're carrying a responsibility for the rest of your life hmm. that most women can't ever understand. Um, so that's where I was. Um, I, through the agency was able to look at profiles and to choose a family and walked through um, quite a few profiles because that's a really difficult process. It's um, kind of surreal, like to try to pick parents for your child. Um, you know, no one would ever be good enough for him, mm. in my opinion. Um, nobody's perfect. They're they're all real people, but it was just really, really hard. The weight of that decision, um, once you process the weight of placing him for adoption and you process that decision, then you're having to decide what home he's going to. And so that was um, a difficult process. But ultimately, I found a family that I felt like was the best fit. They were the most uh, like, they had the same values that I had, that they, the, even the small things that were important to me were important to them in mannerisms, in hobbies, all of those things that ultimately are what helped me have some confirmation that that was the right family for him. Hmm. So you mentioned that you went to counsel, um, went to people to receive counsel and prayed through it and walked with your parents through it. And what sort of advice would you have for people who may have, you know, a potential birth mom, meaning a mom who's vulnerable in their life? I mean, is there anything that people said to you that was really unhelpful or are there any regrets in in the way that you walked through things or the way that people shared input with you? Yeah, so definitely um, being very involved in a church was super helpful for me as far as having support and people walking alongside me. But 21 years ago, being pregnant as a senior in high school and the youth group was That's still a true. pretty yep. not okay thing. And so very well-meaning people mostly in the church said very, very hurtful things. Hmm. And they were trying to help. Um, but I had a lot of offers to raise my children mm. or to raise my child. I had people approaching me. I, I felt like I was some sort of like on the market because people, well, we have this friend who they're, they're looking to adopt and, you know, trying to make those matches and trying to make that decision for me. And that was really hurtful. I hadn't even made the decision to place yet. And everyone else knew what was best for my child um, or so they thought. And I, I just really felt like he was um, a commodity to be had. Mm -hmm. He was not my child. And um, so that was really tough. I, I think for the most part, everybody that I came in contact with, I, I didn't talk a lot about adoption, except to my kind of inner circle of people that I was praying through that with. I was very blessed that the, um, the agency that I was working with is a Christian agency and had God-fearing uh, women who were 
praying me through that. And so I was really lucky in that aspect, but I know a lot of people don't have the same um, access to that. Um, All right, so help me think through this because when I first got involved in this world, I just had such a strong love for adoption and idea that like adoption was so beautiful and all that. And then I started to learn more and started to listen to all the voices more and have tried to, even if it doesn't come naturally, stand more in family preservation and families staying together. And so as someone who has been on both sides of that and doesn't have to like get themselves to a place, like you know both sides of it so well, how do you sort of straddle that belief that like families should be together when at all possible, but also adoption is a beautiful thing and this was an act of love. I think as like outsiders, that's what I am. Even though I'm an adoptive mom, I'm not at the center of this. I'm trying to figure out the right way of feeling and thinking, what does it look like for you to straddle all these realities that what you did was selfless and loving and for him? And then also that when at all possible, family should be together. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think um, it's a little bit different when you're dealing with a private voluntary domestic adoption versus foster care where maybe a child has been removed. That's true. Um, not, not because it's her choice or because of decisions that she has made, but what we try to teach our boys is no matter what choices their birth moms make, whether it be to place them for adoption, um, and even in a non-voluntary situation, whatever the behaviors are, whatever, the addictions are whatever choices they're making um, or will continue to make for their whole life. Mm. They chose life. Mm. And in our case, they chose to place them in our homes and give them a better life. Um, But no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter how they dishonor us, we will honor them in our home because they didn't have to choose life. And so um, we speak very highly of them. We tell our boys all the time, just how thankful we are that they chose to give them life. And they don't know what that means yet, but right, there, will, right. there will be a time where they will know that yep. they had a different option. And, um, and so we just really try to focus on that. And I think it, it is hard to balance the, the beauty and grace and redemption of adoption. Exactly. This was not God's design and that exactly plan for families to be broken. And so I think, just truly focusing on um, not only God's ability to redeem, but also his provision Mm. through adoption that I was not able to provide the family that I thought my son deserved. And so even in that brokenness, God provided for him by allowing him to have the mother and the father that he deserved. And so with our boys, same thing, God didn't I think intend for families to be broken apart. God didn't intend for um, unplanned pregnancies that where there's not a father to support and and all of that. But he still, we believe in his sovereignty, knew that was going to happen right, and right. and had provided and continues to provide for our boys that, even in the midst that of that. Is so good. It's so helpful. And you know what? I think you just did. You reminded me that 
adoption is a picture of the gospel. And we don't look at the gospel and just say like, oh, it's this story of brokenness, of sin, and how we ruined God's perfect plan. And that's where the gospel starts, but that's not where it ends. Where it ends is with redemption and joy and reconciliation and relationship forever. And I think I can just struggle, even just with having like a voice in this community that I don't think I deserve, that I just so want to think the right way. (laughs) You know, I just so want to have the right perspective on this, that it feels like sometimes I swing from side to side of like, adoption is beautiful and we celebrate it to like, oh, adoption is broken and we grieve it. And, but like, that is what the gospel is. It's God's perfect plan being destroyed and then being redeemed. And it's beautiful in the end. I, that was, that was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. So I know I really struggled in, sorry, but, um, I struggled with how, when we were walking through the adoption process, I, I didn't know how I could ever experience joy and adoption because I had felt so much loss and Mm -hmm. so much pain. And I thought, how can I ever be joyful? How can I ever look at my child knowing the loss that someone else is experiencing and not carry that? And I do, I think all of us do as adoptive moms, I think we all grieve and hurt for their biological mom, no matter how they came into our family. Um, I think I do feel that in a different for you though. I think I'm, I'm fighting to put that on. It's not something that's that's stealing my joy. I almost have to like fight to, to get there of like, okay. there's loss on the other side of this. So I, that's definitely, and I, I re I feel it very, I mean, when she placed her child into my arms, I was reliving the, that day mm. more vividly. I mean, fe- not just feeling for her, but feeling mm. her pain. And so I really struggled with how was I ever going to find joy in that? And I realized somehow in and I don't know how God does this, but in his creation of us and our hearts, like it didn't have to be one or the other. The joy did not take away the pain, but my pain didn't take away the joy either. Like it was just, it's hard to explain, but somehow I am able to feel both simultaneously. And my two adopted sons have never and will never replace my biological son. Um, but my biological son also doesn't have replace my adoptive son. Right, like right. They are just, um, I am able to feel the things for them, the love, the pain, the hurt, the loss, the joy, all of that somehow all at the same time. And it's yeah. overwhelming at times, but, but it doesn't take away from each other. That is, that is hope giving to me because to be honest, as an adoptive mom, that's my prayer for my kids. My prayer for my kids is that they're able to be in this tension that you're explaining right now of the loss and the provision, the joy and the pain, and that one doesn't take away from the other. I don't ever want to ignore the loss or the pain, but my prayer is that it's not so overwhelming that they can't experience the joy and the provision. And I love hearing God is good. God is bigger than our loss and our pain. And I love your story because it gives me hope for birth moms. It gives me hope for adoptive moms. It gives me hope for my kids that they'll be able to sit in that tension as well in just, uh, God is good. 
and this was my story and really just worshiping him and living in the tension in a, a healthy, beautiful way. So man, I love that even just personally, like that's a great thought. But for me personally, I'm like, yes, please, God, that's what I want. I want to sit there and I want my kids to sit there. Right. And I, and I think just living in that, um, even for my boys that I'm raising, just living through that openly and letting them see that tension of, they see how I yearn for a relationship with the son I placed. They Mm. see, um, how I try to include him in our family and his quote memory, you know, I, I want him very much to be a part of our story still. And even though he's not with me, my prayer is that someday we will have a relationship with him. So I'm very open about that. But my hope in doing that is not just for me and for that relationship. I want them to see their birth mom's grief mm. through me. They are seeing that I love him and that I miss him. And I didn't just place him and never think of him again, because I think that solidifies the confidence that they can have in knowing how loved they were and are, and that that decision was made out of love and not one that has come easy or that their right. moms don't think about them or, or any of that. So my hope is through that, they are able to better have a sense of identity and confirmation of yeah. their worth. Yeah, that's so good. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guest. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. Let's switch gears a little bit to you now as, as you know, you're on both sides, (laughs) you're the birth mom and the adoptive mom. So the wisdom that you have to share, I know that you're very involved in counseling birth moms and with the adoption agency that, that you both placed with and adopted through, which is just so cool. Um, but so what does it look like now as you counsel birth moms and sort of how can we learn from that? Like what, what sort of perspective shift can adoptive and foster moms have on the birth mom? Because you not only are a birth mom, but you know many and you've walked through this with many. I think so. I've kind of backed off on my counseling with birth moms because I realized um, it's not very comforting to a birth mom who's considering placing for adoption if she's still pregnant um, to hear from some woman, you may go through this and it's going to be awful and it's going to hurt. And then you may go through infertility and never be able to have another (laughs) biological child. I mean, that doesn't happen to many people. It's pretty rare. But in my case, that's what happened. And so I think for for girls that are still pregnant and considering adoption, I'm not the most helpful resource. Okay. And so my adoption with my son was supposed to be an open adoption. And over the years, there was some breakdown in that relationship there. And I can't really explain why or what happened, but I think some fear and insecurity and hurt feelings crept in on both sides. And eventually his adoptive parents completely cut me out of his life. And I don't have a relationship with him at all, um, which is not what I intended And so also, that's also not comforting to a birth mom who is Um, intending to go into my open adoption for me to say, oh, they can promise you that and then take that away. Um, 
And so honestly, I have really tried to use my story more because now as an adoptive mom, I have met a lot more adoptive moms. Right, right. And so I try to use my perspective to um, to kind of help them process the heart of a birth mom yeah. and to see the, the thought process. Um, I know many friends have just told me it's just has given them a new respect and honor for their birth moms, whether they have a relationship with them or not, to just see the daily grief that I still carry and the walk and my desire to have a relationship with him. And it's some have relationships, some don't, some have been a voluntary placement, some haven't, but being able to, for their children's sake, be able to honor their birth mom in their home and just talk to them very openly about the loss. And we can't ignore that. Yeah. I mean, we can't dwell on it, obviously, but we, but we also can't ignore that piece of it. Yeah. I think I'm learning what it looks like to create opportunities the same way I would about any other conversation that's important. I don't wait for my kids to come to me and say, tell me about God. I don't wait for them to come to me and say, teach me all the, it's, it's throwing out like little pebbles and seeing what happens. So we just had today, we were talking about my foster daughter. One of the kids, like they do on a daily basis, said they want to adopt her. <laughs> I said, like I do on a daily basis, she has a mom, her mom is working hard and I could see my daughter. I could see it turning. And so I stopped and looked at her and said, what are you thinking right now? And she just came out. I was thinking of how sad her mom must be. She's five. And so again, I'm like, all right, I could let this drop, but nope, this is an opportunity. This is those moments where I get to enter into it with her and be a part of this and let her know that I'm always, we could be in the middle of breakfast running around and I want to stop because I can tell your wheels are spinning and I want to enter this into, into this with you. And we had a really good conversation, which ended with her saying basically what you just shared, which is, I think that my foster daughter is happy and sad. I think she feels sad she can't be with her mom and happy that she gets to be with us. And I said, well, yep, that's sometimes what it feels like to have, to be a foster child or to be adopted. And just that this is like a running conversation of we are going to stop and create these opportunities because this is important for you and for us as a unit and to honor your mom and, so we're I love that just being that. intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, we're intentional with so many other things. And yet I think a lot of adoptive parents are like, oh, I don't want to like say the wrong thing. Well, I don't want to say the wrong thing about the character of God, but I have to, <laughs> it doesn't mean that I don't talk about him. It's I'm doing my best. I'm trying to be faithful to speak truth and do the right thing and trust him with all of it. So we're creating that dialogue too. I mean, this is just another piece of who my boys are that they're adopted. It doesn't define them. And yeah. I've always wanted it to not be something that they feel like we can't talk about anytime. Yeah. Any, like it's not something to be ashamed of. It is something to be proud of. And it's a part of them and a part of their story that God's writing in their lives and something that I hope they will be able to use for his glory someday. And so if I ever create an environment where it's not okay to talk about or 
oh, you know, that's a hard subject. So we're not going to talk about that yeah. right now. Then they're going to internalize that as something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's, it is a part of their story that I want them to find great comfort in and find ways to use for God's glory. Yeah, that's so good. So you are just so healthy. <laughs> like the way you talk about this, like what did healing look like for you? Because I almost, I know that you're in the depths of it, but when you share, it's so laced with grace and God-centeredness and love and compassion for everyone involved. Like, what did it look like for you to come to a place of healing? I'm not saying that it's gone, but when and how did healing really start to happen and really start to, to form your heart? I think it's like any other grief and that there are stages and it's cyclical. And there are times when, um, I'm really able to just press into the Lord and Mm. get in the word and trust his plan. And then there are times that things happen that knock my feet out from under me and I am in the fetal position in the closet crying. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that's true of any any kind of grief. And so um, I am able to deal with things, I think, by talking them through. That's how I'm able to kind of process it. Not everybody is that way, um, writing my story, but with all the things that I've walked through in the last 39 years, not just 21, but <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've, I've walked through quite a bit and I have seen um, when I was willing to surrender it and allow God to use it for his glory, I found great peace and comfort in his plan. Mm-hmm. And I, um, it's really hard to balance the sovereignty of God and what was his will and yeah. how much of it is brokenness and sin yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and bad decisions in my own life, much less in, you know, my children's birth right. lives. But in my own, that's hard enough to grasp. And so uh, once I let that go and stop <laughs> trying to figure that out and just surrender it, and here's where I am. And um, I want to use this for your glory. There's no reason that I should have walked through what I walked through just to stay in a place of hurt and grief. Mm. Um, he has given me and equipped me with a story that is unique, but um, one that I can use for his glory. And so finding just great peace in that and surrendering and allowing him to to use me and to use my story has brought me just a lot of freedom, I think. And um, my story is still being written. It is mm-hmm. not one that's complete. None of them are. And so I still have, um, my days where I don't want to have a story to tell. I don't want to use this for God's glory. I don't want to be here. I just want to everything to be a lot easier and not hurt so much, but that's not the reality. And this is where I am. And so just trying to make the best of that and, um, follow his, his plan. And I have seen over and over and over and over again, his hand. Mm. And every time we've walked through the really hard things and I don't see him in the midst of that, I can look back now and see his provision and see how he is weaving together this story that I don't know where it's going, but I know up until this point he has provided and he's never left us. And, um, 
I just have to rest in that, that he will, his promise that he'll continue to do so. I struggle because I want his promise to be um, my happy ending. Right, I right. I want his, his promise to look like what I want it to be, but learning to accept that that might look very different than what I want it to be and being okay with that. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm, I'm working very hard every day to get there. <laughs> well, and I think that's something that all of us can say, no matter the story, no matter where we are in it is, this is just about his glory. And he brings out his glory in different ways, in different stories, in beautiful ways. And it's about him. And I think that when I say healthy, that's what I mean. I hear just a God centeredness, not that it's all okay, but that you have a deep faith in the goodness of God and the fact that he's doing something good, even when it doesn't feel good. And I think that's what brings me hope when you share. And that's what, no matter who is listening, that is true for them, that God is good. This is about his glory and he's going to accomplish it. And I think that just brings such hope and joy to anyone, no matter where they are. So that is sort of a beautiful closing word. This is heavy, man. (laughs) And I feel like we could have waited even heavier into this, but I'm going to switch us, going to switch our gears to just talk about you a little bit and talk about what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what are you doing? Um, What am I doing? I am, so this year for the first time, my husband and I started working in the youth group at church. Oh, cool. So I have been a life group leader for eight senior girls. And um, that has, I think, grown me in ways that I never expected. I went in wanting to serve. And the Lord has definitely uh, used those girls to refine me and to teach me a lot of great things. And it's been super fun. It's um, taken up a lot of time just trying to invest in their lives and be there and be there for them anytime they need me. So that's been um, a lot, but it's been just really, really good and really fun. And it's reminded me of how old I am. I really <laughs> thought I was hip and cool, but I'm, I am not, I am way out of the loop on so many things. But you ever see, that, there's I, like a meme that says like, I feel like I'm 20 until I hang out with 20 year olds. It's like, Oh no, no, I'm not 20. <laughs> Same thing when I'm with teenagers, I'm like, are you guys like 10? This isn't what 17 year olds are like, right? <laughs> They say phrases and they're like, don't go look that up on Urban Dictionary. It's really bad. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I won't. I'll stay uh, out. But I do that. I'm on PTO for, you know, working on the yearbook at my kid's elementary school and baseball team mom and just all that mom life stuff. Yeah, keeps cool. Me, keeps me busy. Nice. All right. What are you eating? Um, eating. I am eating too much candy, probably. <laughs> eating. I am... Uh, baseball season craziness. We are very, we try to be very intentional about family dinners and cooking at home. Um, but that can look crazy with church and activities and everyone, you know, knows that. So a lot of crock pot meals is (laughs) what I'm eating and, uh, stuff from the, from the ballpark. Dude, if you are feeding your family out of a crock pot, you are feeding them. Well, that is, I feel (laughs) like eating, before a baseball game is a good excuse for like peanut butter and jelly. So I'm impressed with the like hours in advance. You're thinking about what you're feeding your family before you do. What are you reading? Reading. Um, I have gotten through the first and second chapters of quite a few books. Um, 
that's Are you not a big as, reader or is it just uh, mom life? I used to be, yeah, I, I try to read at night and I usually fall asleep yeah. trying to read and I keep starting books and, um, and I don't really finish them. I work through, I have a small group of girls that we go through Bible studies. And so, um, as we finish one, we'll start a new one. And I'm pretty good about reading when we're working on one of those and getting into the word and, um, uh, obviously trying to be in the word every day, but as far as, other books. I'm, I've started a lot of them, but <laughs> I don't know that I'm currently reading anything. I heard something, read something the other day that 15 minutes a day equates to, I think it was 90 hours in a year. So I feel like even just that few minutes, I mean, same thing. If I get in bed with a book, I'm asleep in five minutes, but I'm like, well, five minutes, then that's 30 hours a year. at least. <laughs> so a few minutes before bed is better than nothing. And it adds up. You can actually accomplish reading books if it's on a regular basis, but it made me feel like I can do anything in my life <laughs> with that 15 minutes a day equals 90 hours a year. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. What are you watching? Uh, we really don't watch too much. Uh, sports are always on in my house. We're always really? watching a sport. Yes. Um, my husband's a big sports fan. So there's always, always a sport on. Um, and then we've given up on this is us Dude, because it's, it's just too much. It's just too heavy. Like I don't, and the other good or terrible thing about good thing, terrible thing about my story is like, I feel the weight of all the characters yeah but like usually you identify with one character right, right. I identify like, I with like every character yes yeah. and like it's too much I mean the whole episode where Randall found out that his his mom had been keeping his birth uh, father from him like I'm feeling the mom I'm yeah. feeling Randall I'm feeling the birth father I'm like yeah, I yeah. can't do this this is yeah exhausting. this is like so a roller coaster up and down every character yeah. Parenthood. I was like, okay, most people, it's hard because they identify with one. I identify with all. So yeah. we try to keep it light. It's a uh, big bang theory, naked and afraid sports, <laughs> stupid <laughs> stuff. It doesn't require emotion. I cannot, I love reality shows. And I say that like anyone could get into any reality show. I hate naked and afraid. Well, I'm not, not, I don't understand why they have to be naked, but my well, husband likes it. I don't know. A really good point. I don't understand why naked. But like, Otherwise, it's just called like married. dumped That's in crazy. the middle of a jungle for, so it's a lot less exciting. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming <gasps> home and my husband saying, I'm watching Naked and Afraid. I was like, uh, excuse me, what are you watching? And then yeah, I watched, it's, yeah, this is the least sexual thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it's just bad. gross and boring, but... <laughs> All right. What are you listening to? So uh, podcasts are new for me. Like within yeah, the last too. few months, I just started oh. getting into podcasts. So um, I listen to your podcast. Oh, I'm not just saying that because I'm on here, but I do. <laughs> um, and I like the, I don't know what this says about me, but I really like the true crime me podcast. Too. That's me so too. interesting to me. But then I'm like, does that put me in this really like weird dark place? But you know what? Though? I really there's enjoy it. And there's like thousands of them. And there's a re- any true. person I talk to about podcasts, that's what they say. There's something about the true crime thing. I don't know. It's just like the suspense of, and it's, they're short and you kind of hear a whole story. And um, so yeah. that's, um, and Ellie Holcomb is on Alexa constantly. Do you know Ellie Holcomb? You need to find her, but so every day I just tell Alexa to play Ellie Holcomb and that is my, while I'm cooking dinner and yeah. doing homework and all of that, that just kind of puts me in the right uh, frame of mind. She's, she's really awesome. So. Nice. Cool. I'll have to look her up. 
All right. This has been so good. Thank you for spending the time. I know these conversations are always heavy, but I think like we were just joking about this is us and like, there's just a weight in your sharing. And I know what a service it is to all the moms who are listening. I think that your example of digging into God and just the way you share your story, even if we can't relate to every part of it, just seeing how God-centered and hope-filled and others-focused you are in your story is just an example. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for spending this time with us. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening.